Well, we're going to jump into part six of our series we've been calling Highways. And uh, the basic idea is that God's ways are higher than our ways. And so we want to try to catch on to what God's plan is. And we've been looking through Isaiah chapter 55, verses 6 through 9, to be able to uh, get an idea of God's ways. And so here's Isaiah 55, starting in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For the ways of God are mercy and pardon. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Have you ever thought to yourself, this is not a situation where I should have mercy. This is not a situation where pardon makes sense. But here in the day of salvation, in the era of forgiveness, it is the, it is the season of mercy and pardon. And so when we disagree with God and we don't want mercy and pardon, then this is God's response. My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Two ways we've been talking about that God's ways are higher than our ways. First, God's ways can be difficult for us to understand. There are things in the scriptures, there are commands, there are ways that we're supposed to live that are difficult for us to grasp, difficult for us to understand. They're higher than our ways. And then there are, there's also the fact that God's ways are better than our ways. So God's ways are higher than our ways and that they're better. Amen? So here's the question. Each one of us has to deal with what do we do when we don't understand why God would tell us to do something. We don't think it looks like the right thing. We think this other option is better. We all have to make the choice. Are we going to go with what God says, even though we don't understand? Or are we going to go our own way that we think we understand? And walking by faith is choosing the ways of God because we believe that even though we don't understand, God's ways are better. And so we choose God's ways, even though we don't understand. That's faith. However, in John chapter 15, Jesus talked to his disciples and he said, I no longer call you servants, or in some translations, I no longer call you slaves, because a slave does not know his master's business. And then Jesus says, but I've told you everything. I've I've let you in on everything. You now understand. We can walk through this together. You know your father's business. So transitioning from Servant to friend is from the gopher, go do this, go do that. You don't know why, but just do what I say, to the steward, the one who understands to some extent why this is happening. Why are we doing this? And so through this series, we've been trying to understand some of God's ways that are a little bit difficult to go from servant to friend, to go from someone who maybe would have to follow the rule, even though we don't like it and we don't understand it to someone who's got a bit of an understanding of why God would make that rule in the first place. 
Why does God make rules? Because he loves us and he's trying to spare us unnecessary harm. Amen. And he loves society, not just individually, but corporately. He's trying to uh, stop us from unnecessary problems societally. So that's why God makes rules. This week, we're going to have some fun. Talk about a topic that can be a little bit difficult. Um, So let's pray (laughs) and we'll get into today's topic. So, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you'd bless our time this morning. Lord, I know that you've got a good plan and you've got things that you want to spark in our hearts. And, Lord, we're each going through different things. We're at different uh, places. We're fighting different parts of the battle. And so, Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would touch each one of us right where we are with just what we need so that we can believe in you better, that we can take a step forward in serving you more, and, Lord, that we can become more of a friend to you. So Lord, bless our time. Amen. Amen. Ephesians 5, 15 through 20. Our key verse is going to be verse 18. And we're going to try to go from uh, servant to friend relating to Ephesians 5, 18. But let's set it up. 5, 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Amen making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back to verse 18. So verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. All right. Anytime you talk about a topic like uh, consuming alcohol, alcohol, drugs, we're going to cover the whole addiction realm this morning. Um, You know, there's a lot of variety of opinions, right? Variety of opinions. People think a variety of different things. And there's some people that you just can't please. Amen. My charge to you is don't be one of them. All right. Don't be one of them. Let's take some time. Let's look at this. Let's just explore and see where we get. The Pharisees were people that were difficult to please. Matthew 11, 18 and 19. You know, John the Baptist didn't drink. He fasted a lot. He lived out in the desert, you know, and he kind of was viewed as sort of a crazy religious person. You know, and he abstained from many, many things. Jesus, on the other hand, he pushed the lines of what was acceptable. You know, he, he ate stuff you weren't supposed to eat. He did things you weren't supposed to do. And he was teaching people through that what really matters. But Jesus drank. Jesus didn't fast much from what we understand. And so let's look at how the religious community responded to um, John the Baptist and to Jesus. Matthew eleven eighteen. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. So John abstains from all the bad things. He fasts a lot. He's in seclusion, spending time with God. And they're like, he's nuts. This guy's a nutcase. Verse 19. 
The son of man, this is Jesus referring to himself as the son of man. The son of man came eating and drinking and they, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. So what Jesus is saying to the religious culture of the day is, John was on one side, you hated him. I'm on the other side, you hate me. You just want to hate. You don't care what it is, you'll find a reason to hate that. And I think that's something that's very prevalent in our culture today. You know, it's just snap judgments. I hate that. You know, without finding out what's really going on. You know, if you were to actually become well-informed in some of the news items that people post on Facebook, how much they're upset about, I mean, it would take hours and hours, days, probably weeks to become informed enough to have a reasonable opinion about what's going on. And yet we think in eight seconds, we have got it all figured out. And we're going to go on a rant about it. It doesn't make any sense. It's a, it's a logical problem. We need to take the time to look at situations and understand. Otherwise, we'll be in the situation that the Pharisees were in, where they hated John, even though he's on one side. They hated Jesus. He's on the other side. They just want to hate. So they make snap judgments, and it's foolishness. Let's not do that with this topic. It's something that can happen with this topic. Let's not do that. Let's try to understand. Let's try to go from either uh, rejecting or embracing the rule to trying to understand what is God after with saying this in Ephesians 5.18. So, there are two words I want to look at in Ephesians 5.18 that I'm pretty excited about. So let's put 518. There we go. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit. The two words I want to look at this morning are the words debauchery and the word instead. Are you excited about the word debauchery today? Like, oh boy, I was hoping he'd talk about debauchery. You know, that was, that was Father's Day, debauchery, come on. Uh, well, I didn't look up the English word debauchery, but I did go to the Greek word and look that up because I thought, I wonder what that really means. And I was assuming it would mean something like disgusting stupidity or something like that, you know? And when I looked at the Greek word, it's, it's the word not. And then basically, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here. The word safe, not safe. Literally, if you were to translate it the way my, uh, my Greek um, study tools say, it would be unsavedness. But it, it's not referring to spiritual unsavedness. It's referring to you're just not in a safe place. Now, have you noticed that addictions, overindulgences, can cause people to be unsafe? They can be vulnerable. They can be in danger. Bad things can happen. Even bad things can happen that you don't mean to have happen. Your heart isn't for a bad thing to happen. It's just not safe. And sometimes when you're in an unsafe situation, the bad thing happens. Right? If it happens one out of a hundred times and you do the thing 200 times, it's going to happen twice. So that's 
That's what debauchery means in the Greek word. It's only in the New Testament three times. The other times it's translated riot. (laughs) Here it's in the King James excess, NIV debauchery. It just means that you put yourself in a situation where you're vulnerable, where you're in danger, where other people are in danger. It doesn't indicate a bad, malicious heart. It just indicates that there's danger that you step into that you're not going to be protected from. That's what that's talking about. And of course, we've all seen alcohol and chemical abuse cause unsafe things. Drunk driving is very dangerous, right? Bad things can happen. You don't mean for bad things to happen, but bad things can happen. Overdoses can happen. There can be um, violence and abuse. Did you ever wonder why the Prohibition Act was passed in the 1930s? How in, in the land of the free, they could actually outlaw alcohol in the United States? Isn't it amazing to think that that actually happened? How did it happen? Well, it was predominantly a response to domestic violence. Because in that day, there's no divorce and there's no protection in the home. Dad comes home drunk, he does whatever he wants, and nobody can do anything about it. That was the 20s. That was the era before prohibition. And so there was a huge outcry against that. Because there were no protections. You just had to deal with it. And prohibition came in primarily because of the indignation against domestic violence. That's, that's where that came from. That's an unsafe, debaucherous situation. Of course, when there's chemical and alcohol abuse, it can cause um, health problems. can also cause mental health problems. I read a book some years ago by a neurologist from the University of Minnesota called Why Do They Act That Way? And it's about teenagers. And uh, the... <laughs> So it's a great book. I enjoyed it tremendously. And, and uh, it was written after they were able to do like MRIs and brain scans for people as they grew up. Because say in the 70s, the only way you can examine a brain is on a dead person. However, now you can watch the brain develop and get pictures of it. And the person doesn't have to die. So you can see the process. It's much, much better. And in the old days, if you're old like me, you remember the the egg in the frying pan. This is your brain. (laughs) This is your brain on drugs, right? And the line was, if you do drugs, you're going to kill brain cells and you're never going to get them back. That was the line. And this guy in in the book said, we found out that's not true. The brain will regenerate. New... Uh, cells will be made. But then he said, sadly though, it's worse than brain cells dying. He said, as the brain develops, it adapts to its environment. And so there's the dopamine receptors and dopamine producers, you know, there's dopamine is the happy thing in your brain. And 
When you do, uh, when you, when you feed an addiction, whatever it is, be it a chemical addiction or a, a non-chemical addiction, gambling addiction can do the same thing. Pornography addiction can do the same thing. The brain does the same thing. If it's heroin or gambling, the same thing happens in the brain. It's the dopamine rush. And that's, that's where the thing comes from. And he said, as the brain develops, if there's excess dopamine, then the brain develops less dopamine producers because it knows it doesn't need more dopamine, so the producers are diminished. However, if there's extra dopamine and some of it's being wasted, then the dopamine receptors increase. And so the brain grows more dopamine receptors and less dopamine producers. And so if your producers are cut in half and your receptors are doubled, then when you quit, You've got a fourth of the producers that you need to be able to feed the receptors. And you've actually developed a depressed brain that can't get happy because it can't get enough dopamine because there aren't enough receptors for the number. There aren't enough producers for the number of receptors. You know what I'm saying? I may have said those things backwards. All right. So. The good news is, after several years, your brain will readjust. You may be chemically, or chemically, what's the word? Chronically, like, diagnosed depressed, like, legitimately, you've got a chemical problem in your brain for maybe five to ten years, and then your brain will adjust. Super. Clinically depressed, that's it. That may happen for 10 years, and you gut it out, and then you get to the other side. Who's got 10 years to go through that? And so then it perpetuates, and the problem continues. These are dangerous, dangerous things. How much of this sort of stuff should Good Hope promote? Yeah, none of it, right? (laughs) None of it. It's bad stuff. Clearly bad things. We don't want to promote things like that. Now, however, as we've already mentioned, Jesus did drink. Jesus turned water into wine. Do you know how much water Jesus turned into wine? Right around 150 gallons, give or take 30 gallons. The best estimate, somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons. It was a provision miracle. It wasn't a parlor trick to show his capacity to do uh, things that were impossible. It was a provision miracle, like the loaves and the fishes. 150 gallons. Isn't that amazing? Now, that means, now, uh, did Jesus ever sin? So we can't take a hard line like demon rum, like in the good old days, the good assembly of God preachers back in the 20s, they used to preach against demon rum, you know, and they would break pulpits, yelling and screaming and pounding on the pulpit, screaming about demon rum. I wish I could go back and watch some of that. Wouldn't that be neat? The old Presbyterian church in Big Fork, where I used to live years ago, they in their storage room, they had a broken pulpit. 
from the preacher pounding on it until it cracked in half. I'm like, they had church back then. You know, like, oh, here we've, we've got to be much friendlier than that. <laughs> Just good stuff. Um, anyway, I would talk about that for too long. All right. So what do we do with this? Right? Jesus turns 150 gallons of water into wine. It's clearly not prohibition. However, you see all this darkness and you see, do not get drunk on wine. Now, here's the deal. There is zero indication that Jesus ever got drunk. There's zero indication that Jesus just like, man, I just got to let loose and party down. It's Friday. You know, Jesus didn't do that. But he did consume alcohol. John the Baptist did not. And so how do we make sense of this? How do we go forward with this catching on to God's plan? So the million dollar question is, where's the line? Right? You know, as the youth pastor, I get asked this question over and over again. Is it a sin if? You know, adults will ask me that question. And my first response is, well, why are you asking me that question? What are you planning to do? You know, or what are you trying to justify that you would ask me that question? But then, of course, there are the obvious things, you know, like murdering people. Nobody gets to do that ever. You don't get to murder people. However, there are lots of disputable matters, you know, like, like this one. Where's the line? The million dollar question, where's the line? Can we find the line? And here's my answer to where's the line. The line is in different places for different people and it moves. That's why it's so hard to find the line because the line is in different places for different people and it moves. So when I was a 19 year old, just got saved college kid, I was someone who drank alcohol on a regular basis. And so what's the first thing God's going to do in my heart? Well, he's going to work on my relationship with him. He's going to help me understand various things. The first thing isn't going to be alcohol. And there's, there's so many things that God has to deal with. And so at that stage of my life, it wasn't the first thing God was going to deal with. Now, he did deal with it as time went on. But now I'm an Assemblies of God pastor in the heritage of the demon rum preachers. And so I have had to take a vow of abstinence from alcohol as long as I serve as an Assemblies of God preacher. Zero, absolute abstinence. If I, if I take communion where there's wine, I might be in trouble. And I'm cool with that because the wine is in different places for different people and it moves. It's very appropriate for me to take a vow of abstinence. And it's, well, I'll just leave it at that. The reason for that is because I don't want to be a stumbling block to anyone else. Romans 14, 19 through 21. Let's talk faster, boy. All right. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. So what we're looking for is peace and for everybody to be benefited. Verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So we have debates about alcohol. Back then they had debates about bacon. You know, 
Uh, bacon was a big deal. I don't know if they had bacon, but anyway, pork roast, we'll say that. They, they had kosher rules. And what you ate was very, very important. And so it was revealed that, you know, God's after the heart and the rules about food were just to help us be a little healthier and to protect people from things they didn't understand because they didn't understand about all these different ways you can get foodborne illnesses and all that sort of stuff. So God put a bunch of rules in there that if they followed them, they'd be healthier. And then they took that too far and made them moral rules rather than health rules. And so it was revealed in the New Testament that, hey, it, food is food. You know, try to be healthy, but man, you're making too much of this. And so all food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So if me eating bacon makes you think I'm in rebellion against God and emboldens you to be in rebellion against God, then I should abstain from bacon. Amen. Said stronger in first Corinthians um, eight says this. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. So Paul here is saying, I'm not going to do something that's going to hurt someone else. And for me, I feel like, what if a youth group kid saw me drinking a beer at Applebee's? Are the potential consequences worth that beer? Not to me. I'm absolutely thrilled to be able to take a vow of abstinence among other brothers and sisters who have taken the same vow and to walk through life that way. Hallelujah. Is that something that should be universally applied to everyone? No, the line is in different places for different people and it moves. But the key is what is the benefit to other people in what you're doing? Think about them. Don't think about you. Are you doing something just for you or are you doing it for them? So what benefit do the people around me gain by me drinking, by me uh, doing drugs? That sort of, it does not benefit them at all. So I need to look at them, not look at me. So what if I'm a stumbling block to the drinkers? You know, I, I used to wear a tie every week church. I grew up not going to church and uh, I didn't have the same aversion to ties that apparently the rest of the world has because they just freak out if you want them to wear a tie. But the question is, if you would go to hell, if you didn't wear a tie, would you wear a tie? Like, I mean, come on, it's not that hard. Uh, but people throw fits about wearing ties. But I, you know, I felt like it's honoring to God. I, I felt like it was special. So I'm going to go to church dressed up. Except then I found out that the jean people got nervous because I would wear a tie all the time and it made jean people feel uncomfortable. So I thought, well, I want people to be comfortable. So I'll just dress up on communion weekend and the rest of the time I'll just wear jeans and be more comfortable. That'll probably work better thinking about other people again. Um, so what about the people who drink? Me not drinking may cause a problem with them. You know, there's a weird thing with alcohol, and that is, is if you're in a group that's drinking and you don't drink, it causes a relational problem. It's a weird deal. It's different from orange juice. You know, if you're having breakfast and, you know, one person orders apple juice, another one has coffee and another one has orange juice, there's not like, come on, man, get some juice. You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't happen like that. 
And so there's a weird deal with alcohol where it's, it's, I wish I understood it completely, but there's an identity piece there. And if, if your identity is threatened by other people not participating in what you're doing, then there's an identity problem there. And that thing has a grip on you that you don't fully realize. So if other people not participating in it causes something to go in your heart, then take a deeper look. There's something going on. Now let's look at my favorite word in uh, Ephesians 5.18, the word instead. This is a great word. Instead. Because the don't gospel only has so much power. You know, the don't gospel, don't do this, don't do that. And then what, but what do you do? Right? Because if we just don't, that's empty. It's an empty life of don'ts. And that's not something that's going to get you through life. And here's my, I'm in all kinds of trouble this morning. I'm glad you're patient people, provocative, prerogative. I was going for provocative, but it's my, it's my prerogative to say something provocative. Because I have the microphone. So here's the next one. But man, sometimes don't you just need a bump to get you through the day? I mean, we could don't do that. Well, okay, but sometimes, man, don't you just need a bump to get you through the day? That's where instead comes in. We don't just pretend that we don't need a coping mechanism. You do need a coping mechanism. Okay? We need, this life is hard. We need a coping mechanism. There are destructive coping mechanisms and there are life-giving, productive coping mechanisms. And that's where the instead comes in. Because we're not just to walk through life not doing things that we really feel like we need to do and then living in the misery of that. There's an instead that's better. There's an instead that's a highway of God that maybe we don't understand, but is definitely better than our ways. And that is instead be filled with the spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to unsafe behavior. Instead, be filled with the spirit. Let's read the next couple of verses. We've read these before. Be filled with the spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. So here, be filled with the Spirit. That is our bump. And speak to each other edifying words. Sing in your heart. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where thankfulness, worship, singing, Kind words to others, embracing the Holy Spirit of God, gives us the bump to get through the day. Did you know that there is a mood-altering effect of the gospel? It's not all theology, it's also emotional and mood-altering. We're just going to read one verse, Philippians, well, one section. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. Yeah, good luck with that, right? Do not be anxious about anything. 
Anybody ever been anxious about something? Anybody ever been anxious about something and you wish you could not be anxious about it, but it just won't go away? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So it's a call to prayer. Go into the presence of God. You've got anxiety. Don't just feel like you're not supposed to have anxiety and wish you didn't. Go to God. Lay it all out before the Lord. Verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So your emotions will be taken taken care of and your thoughts will be taken care of. This is the mood altering blessing of the gospel. You need a bump to get you through the day. And it's that moment when you go to the Lord, when you have consistent, this is kind of fun, consistent therapeutic doses of prayer and worship throughout your life where you can be standing on solid ground and have your emotions and your thoughts in check with God and that anxiety diminishes, that fear diminishes. I've, I've lived this out myself. When we planted this church seven years ago, just about, I had $130,000 of other, other people's money to work with. Isn't that fantastic? Morgan Park isn't getting that from us. But that's what I got. Hallelujah. And there was a thing that came over me. I mean, I'm perfectly comfortable walking out in front of a group of people and making a fool of myself. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I'm okay with it. I've done it enough times to where it's worn off. I've been desensitized to making a fool of myself. But I don't want to take... Things that people have given to God and waste them. What if we just mess this all up and $130,000 worth of people praying and giving to God to see the kingdom move forward was just wasted because I did stupid stuff and did it poorly. It was a huge thing on my heart. I, I carried it. And so I had to choose between faith and fear every day. And then people started coming to church and it was fantastic. But I knew that if I lived in fear, it was going to fall apart. If I walked by faith, God was going to do good things because God wanted to do good things. And the only bad thing was going to be if I messed it up. Fear would mess it up. So I'd walk by faith. And so I lived this out. Now, uh, hallelujah, we're fairly stable. You know, praise God for that. We got Morgan Park to do the faith fear thing with now. We got all kinds of new stuff. We're always stepping into that. Trinette went on a prayer and fasting retreat here about a week or two ago. She came back changed. She came back with peace that she didn't have when she left. She came back able to deal with stressful situations without having them affect her in the same way. You need that bump. We all need that. Don't pretend you don't. But... How we get it is the big question. I'm going to invite the prayer teams up. We're going to close here in just a moment. As the prayer teams are coming up, let me say this. My next provocative statement. If you can't cope without alcohol or drugs, let me tell you this. You can't cope with them either. If you can't cope without alcohol, 
You can't cope with alcohol. That's the big lie. It's not going to fix it. It's just going to make it a little bit worse. You've got to figure out how to deal with it without that. So don't think that that coping mechanism is actually going to work. If you can't cope without alcohol, you can't cope with it. So what do we put in there instead? We're going to reject the don't gospel and we're not going to get legalistic about alcohol. But what are we supposed to do? Let's look at the dangers of the don't gospel in Matthew 12. Then I'll invite people up for prayer. Matthew 12, 43. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, would a spirit of addiction be an evil spirit? Absolutely. It goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there, and the final condition of that man is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. The don't gospel isn't anything compared to the instead gospel. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, worship God. Open your heart to the Lord. Instead, present your requests to God and walk in thanksgiving, speaking kind words to others. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Otherwise, you're empty, and when the darkness comes around, it's got a vacuum to fill. So what we need to do is drink deep of the Spirit of God, be filled with the Spirit. So let's pray. Let's pray along those lines, then I'll invite people up for personal prayer. Uh, This is a great day to get personal prayer, and it doesn't matter what the need is. You want to start a relationship with Jesus, come get prayer. You, uh, you need physical healing, come get prayer. Got an emotional need, something in the sermon sparks something, come get prayer. Let's pray together for that instead. Heavenly Father, we don't want to be unsafe. We don't want to run to things that hurt us and hurt others. Lord, show us those things in our lives right now. Help us to see them, Lord, that we can reject those things. And Lord, fill that void with your spirit. Fill that void with a heart of worship. Fill that void with prayer and connection with you and thanksgiving. Lord, take the darkness out of our heart and pour your spirit in. Pour a heart of worship in. Help us to be willing to spend time with you and to be filled up, Lord, so that we're not susceptible to these dark things. Give us peace. Give us strength. And Father, I pray a blessing over each person in this place. Lord, I pray your peace would be upon us. Your joy would be in our hearts and that we would know we are loved by you so much that we are able to love others that are difficult to love in our world. Bless us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.